0: If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today.
1: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S.
2: economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Yeah, so for everyone listening, we're, we're in the box in the height of Barcelona summer. So we're kind of mimicking the experience of being in Dubai yeah. by being in this box right now. We're, mm, we're mef- so. method podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> a destination isn't always a place. Sometimes it's a new way of seeing
0: things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. The Persian Gulf is a warm, shallow sea in the heart of the Middle East. It's surrounded by antique lands, all crumbling ancient citadels and white-hot sand.
2: Saudi Arabia, Iran, Kuwait, Iraq, Bahrain, Qatar. For millennia, they have all relied on this sliver of crystal-clear water for trade, food, and life. The Garden of Eden was
0: said to lie on its northernmost tip. If you looked out from Eden, you'd see a final country off in the distance jutting out in the Gulf's southeastern face. The United Arab Emirates, a federation of seven sheikdoms, ancient tribal societies ruled by kings who wield ultimate power. You've probably heard about their momentous Trump-sponsored peace accord with Israel recently. It's a country in constant flux, changing for good, for bad, but remaining bound together by oil. With the money that black stuff gave them, the UAE... Built cities of gold. Dubai is the
2: Emirates' most populous and famous city-state, and it is spectacular. A celebrity playground littered with Lamborghinis and Gucci handbags, plus the world's tallest skyscraper. It's a city of undiluted ambition, in the middle of the desert, and it succeeded against all odds.
0: But how? Well, Dubai is creative and audacious. The city of gold is home to some of the world's most innovative and ballsy feats of engineering. But how they did it? Well, that's a different story. Because this story, set in a glittering, plastic, fantastic paradise, sees architecture meet ambition in one of the most extraordinary real estate projects the world has ever seen. But it's also a story, maybe inevitably, about corruption. When the sun's that hot, you're going to end up flying too close to it.
2: If you fly over Dubai, the first thing you'll notice are strangely shaped spits of sand
0: poking out of the gulf. These are man-made islands dredged up from the seafloor. You'll recognize the Palm Jumeirah, an entirely artificial piece of land blossoming out from Dubai's coast to form a perfect palm tree. It's one of Dubai's most luxurious neighborhoods. But there are other artificial islands in Dubai, islands that are more bizarre and much more creative. We've been around the world on Passport, but today producer Harry Stott has found the world in one place, a replica of the world in the Persian Gulf, just off Dubai. They're called the World Islands, and their story is a saga of epic proportions.
2: You know, I usually come in here pretty green, but I don't think I've been as green as today. I'm like a, a newborn
0: child. Me neither. I know we're yeah. in Dubai mm-hmm. and that's it. I like your description of Dubai by the air because that's the only place, the only time I've seen it from. I've been to Dubai many times. It's like the, the stop through, off point. Know. Yeah. They have a nice departures lounge. You know, you can like ju- quite often judge a place just by the kinds of shops that are in there, like walking terminals.
3: <laughs>
0: you know It's I mean? Yeah? It's like, I mean. There's just like yeah, I guess Rolex, so. Cartier. Ah, oh, right. Like it's. You just feel like a homeless dude? Yeah. (laughs) People constantly telling me to put my shoes behind.
4: (laughs) Well, from the air, I think, is probably one of the best ways you can see it.
0: It's it's insane. It's like, yeah, a jewel in the middle of, like, complete blackness. As you circle to go to the airport, you circle around the city. And the buildings are above the plane. Whoa.
4: (laughs) Really? Yeah.
0: Whoa. It's, an, it's mental
4: I think it's always been this kind of thoroughfare yeah just because of where it's situated between at the kind of crossroads between Asia and Europe but even back to the time of the Silk Road and all that mm.
0: it still is like a stopover point we were just talking before about how friends who would like go there for two years work and then go home put down a deposit on a house <laughs> you don't pay any taxes all right. and it was just it's like it's one of yeah.
2: these uh,
0: murky places
2: yeah I mean, yeah. It's, it's a, trans, a transient city. Mm. It's like oil <laughs> Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what do you think? Do you think there's anything we should know or should we just dive in?
4: Obviously, Dubai is part of the UAE, right. which is seven sheikhdoms. Mm. The other famous one is Abu Dhabi, which is the capital of the UAE. And
2: the, the most, most fun are... one to say.
4: <laughs> it is. Abu Dhabi. <laughs> I like
0: shakedom. You like it? I like it. Nice word, right? It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say sheikdom. Sheikdom. Well, a sheik-shake.
2: Yeah, because I'm a sheik-shake.
0: <laughs> My sheik-shake brings all the voice to the yard.
2: <laughs> it's going to be one of those recording sessions.
5: <laughs> and they like, I it's better than <laughs> I,
2: I, I I guess recording this episode... In 45degree heat, <laughs> might not be the best idea. The maybe, been maybe tur- in. Yeah, maybe turn
4: off the flamingo.
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> People hear Dubai and they think gold-plated hummers, fake old Arabia, big fancy malls and air conditioning everywhere. It's become Dubai's global image, its brand. But why? What's the real benefit of building super skyscrapers and artificial islands? This is what I wanted to get to grips with. What on earth is the point of a Lamborghini police car? But first, we should probably work out how true this all is. Does Dubai's platinum brand feel real when you're there on the street? To find out, I needed to speak to someone who lives that life, who mixes with the great and the good of the city.
5: It's so surprising that 50 years back, there was nothing. It was just desert and sand all around you.
4: Meet Sana Chikalia. She's that most modern of professions, an influencer.
5: And now it's a full city. Whatever you want, there is something, everything what you require.
4: Sana is originally from India. She's a Dubai expat, one of a demographic who actually make up 83% of people in the city. Apparently, it's quite hard to come across a real Emirati citizen. Dubai is a city of excess that blossomed out of the arid sands of the Arabian desert. The place around it is barren, a lunar landscape. The city has no right to be there at all. So to counter it, modern Dubai has set itself up as the opposite. It's the epitome of luxury.
5: Dubai, if they dream it, they actually try to achieve that. There's another underwater hotel. So Atlantis, when you wake up, there's all fishes swimming all around you. Every year they have an exhibition over here for only cars. I've even seen um, diamond-encrusted cars and gold-covered cars. And the police over here, they do have the best cars, uh, be it an Aston Martin, be it a Lamborghini, be a Mercedes.
4: Turns out I wasn't dreaming. You'll see diamond-encrusted Lambos and Aston Martin police cars rolling by in Dubai. You can't beat that for indulgence.
5: There are a lot of... Uh, celebs who come and stay here. So I met a lot of uh, chefs. So Greg Maloff, there is uh, Gordon Ramsay who keeps coming here quite often.
4: David Beckham has a place in Dubai. So does Giorgio Armani. Lindsay Lohan has been hiding away there from the paparazzi for the past few years. Because if you've got the cash to burn, you can live like a genuine king in Dubai. And if you're planning a trip, it's going to revolve around the beach, fancy food and shopping. The last of these takes place in Dubai's notorious malls. They're basically the centre of life in the city.
5: Yeah, the malls are a central part of Dubai. In the mall, you can even find a a ski park, an aquarium, the biggest aquarium in the world, a dancing fountain. Whatever you want, there is in the mall. So you can easily spend a few weeks in Dubai without getting bored.
4: The biggest mall of the mall? The Dubai Mall in the city's downtown. At 12 million square feet, that's 275 acres of space, it's not just Dubai's biggest, it's the world's biggest.
5: People do tend to go to the mall a lot more because it's all air-conditioned. Whereas if you go outdoor, especially in the summer, it's like standing in the oven. And I'm not sure if you've seen videos, but they show where they find frying eggs on the car because then it actually gets fried.
4: The streets of Dubai are actually not that busy to walk around. It's hot here. Seriously hot. Plus 100 degrees hot every day in summer.
5: We also have, uh, I'm not sure if you have heard, but cloud seeding because it gets so hot the government actually does fake rain just to make us feel better and we look forward to it.
4: Cloud seeding is man made rain. Dubai even control the weather.
5: And when it rains, the roads are so busy because everybody wants to go outdoors. You know, you'll be sh- uh, seeing on Twitter and Instagram, people will be sharing, oh, it's raining, see the clouds. And they'll be sharing their favourite food combination, a hot chocolate, and marshmallow.
4: As a Brit, this is possibly the weirdest thing I've heard yet. We spend our lives running away from the rain. In Dubai, they're running towards it.
5: Just the other day, I heard they're making a street in Dubai where it will rain 365 days constantly. Initially, I was like, oh my gosh, I was so surprised. But then I was like, oh yeah, it's Dubai. You know, they can do anything. Whatever you think, they can actually make it happen.
4: Things that are normal in Dubai are not normal anywhere else. It's that kind of place, a Las Vegasy vibe. Capitalism unchained. And that's down to more than just Dubai's wealthy residents. To build the malls, the skyscrapers, the underwater hotels, you've got to have someone in charge who is willing to loosen the purse strings when they need to be loosened. You've got to have an economy set up to pursue the most outrageous of projects.
6: They are the first and only successful post-oil economy in the Middle East. Full stop.
4: That's Jim Crane, an American reporter and a fellow at Rice University. He lived in Dubai during the early noughties and found it so fascinating, he wrote a book about it. It's the best modern history of Dubai there is.
6: I moved there from Iraq. I was in Iraq in the 2003-2004 as the country was basically being destroyed and moved to Dubai, which was just kicking off this incredible boom and basically just rising up into
4: you know, magnificence. He has the gruff, no-nonsense voice of a war reporter, which is what he used to be. It's the kind of attitude you need to succeed in this
6: part of the world. I used to call home uh, once in a while and, you know, people say, oh, where are you calling from? And I'd say, oh, I'm calling from Dubai. And they're like, oh, where is that? And I'd be like, well, it's right next to Saudi Arabia and right across the Persian Gulf from Iran. And they're like, oh, you know, you keep your head down. I'm going to pray for you. I'm like, well, you know, I'd be sitting on my balcony overlooking the pool with the palm trees. And I said, well, maybe you've already been praying for me because I got it pretty good over here.
4: Jim was in Dubai during the good times, the boom years of the early 2000s. But the city's history wasn't always palm trees, swimming pools and easy living. Until the 60s, the region was barely inhabited, much less explored. The most desolate corner of a desolate land, as Jim puts it in his book. The hardy tribes who lived in this place of dust storms, salt-crusted tidal flats and cavernous gorges made a little money diving down into the Gulf for pearls. Or sending their slaves to dive down, I should say. The UAE only banned slaves in 1963. More on that in a bit. It wasn't until they struck oil in the 60s that things really began to change, and oh, did they! The impact of oil on the entire Arabian Peninsula was enormous. It went from a place of wandering nomadic tribes to the modern air conditioned superstates we know today. But Dubai never actually had that much oil, not compared to Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi anyway. So instead, they chose to focus on trade and tourism, pumping what oil money they got into vast infrastructure projects like ports and skyscrapers. This is the post-oil economy Jim mentioned earlier. Well, I say they chose. We're really talking about two men doing all the choosing.
6: Dubai is, it is as, as we know it now, basically because of the, the personalities of two people, Sheikh Rashid and his son, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, who's, who's now the ruler.
4: Dubai has been ruled by the al-Maktoum family since 1833, but Sheikh Rashid, who died in 1990, and his son Sheikh Mohammed, who's in charge now, are by far its most influential rulers. And in Dubai, the sheikh's powers are all-encompassing.
6: I mean, Dubai is autocratic, as, as autocratic as it gets. Politics are illegal. You know, political parties are illegal.
4: The city today is created in the sheikh's image, and Rashid and Mohammed were as creative as they were ambitious, Mohammed, particularly. He changed Dubai from his father's city of pragmatism to one of opulence, an ostentatious tourist hub to be envied the world over. Jim actually worked as a consultant for Mohammed when he was in Dubai, so he's seen firsthand how Dubai's king of kings operates.
6: He's just an extreme motivator, partially by fear, but also partially by kind of the personal force of his personality.
4: Mohammed sounds more like an entrepreneur than a king. He's made the city pretty much tax-free. I mean, that's why lots of foreigners head there. But to attract the expats and businesses, there's a bit of social leeway as well.
6: I was constantly surprised by the level of of social freedom. So political freedom, absolutely not, you know, full stop. But social freedoms are plentiful.
4: Does Dubai follow sort of strict Muslim rules?
6: It certainly does not, no. I mean, um, you know, you cross the border into, into Saudi Arabia and it is very different. You can feel it right away. I used to play softball and it was right next to one of the biggest brothels in town. So there would be hookers in the the stands, in the bleachers, watching us play and I'd come back to my car afterward and sometimes there'd be two or three prostitutes sitting on my car.
4: There's a curious dichotomy in Dubai. It's fundamentally autocratic but in certain ways it can be surprisingly liberal. On the bad side, and it is really bad, You've got the stories of Sheikh Mohammed kidnapping his own daughters, multiple times.
6: A
1: missing Emirati princess, a French spy, a yacht seized in international waters. It has the hallmarks of being a best-selling geopolitical thriller, but this is
5: no novel.
4: That was the recent story of Mohammed's daughter, Princess Latifa. She tried to escape Dubai in 2018 on a yacht. Mohammed found out and sent armed commandos to bring her back. Apparently she was screaming she'd rather be shot than return. His other daughter, Shamza, pulled a similar trick back in 2000, but she was returned to her dad's loving embrace too. She hasn't been seen in public since. And remember I said slavery was only banned in the UAE in 1963? Well, modern slavery is alive and well in Dubai in the guise of a vastly exploitative work sponsorship system called Kafala. Have a look at the damning reports on the treatment of migrant workers from Human Rights Watch and you'll get the full picture.
0: Tens of thousands of women every single year migrate to the United Arab Emirates. We found that many of them were subject to egregious level of abuses.
4: But for the Dubai elites and the celebs and footballers who holiday there, Dubai is really quite permissive, even if they're having fun on the back of South Asian workers toiling for almost nothing in the desert sun. People turning a blind eye to abuses and the stuff going on behind the luxury is really how the city has been able to march to modernity at such a pace. Sure, Dubai may glitter, but the gold is blacker than you think, and nowhere more so than in its buildings, because Dubai is home to the world's most ostentatious architecture. That's
0: some opportunities. Whoa. That was like... That's some dark bling. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I feel like I need a shower. (laughs) And then how you get from that tribal culture Mm -hmm. on the Persian Gulf to diamond and crusted Lamborghinis.
4: In what, 40 years?
2: Yeah. (laughs) And and a place where it's like so inhospitable outside that you build basically the most insane hotels on earth or a street where it rains yeah. 24
0: hours a day. I
2: mean that's the the, the <laughs> when you when you're at the point where your government makes
0: rain. <laughs> that is like comic book <laughs> villain shit.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know if you guys have you seen the uh that the time-lapse footage of the city being built of Dubai. It's, yeah. It looks, it looks like the intro to the Lego Movie. This is like these just cranes going. Uh,
4: yeah, I think and well, I, one of the most interesting things looking into it is the influence of these two shakes. You know, they're basically it's like a fascist state. It's a totalitarian state yep. essentially. But when you have two rulers who are basically like business savvy, yeah. So if you kind of you dismiss the you know the way they did it and the awful things that went on behind it, it is it's actually yeah, quite it is, cool. It's, but, impressive. it's impressive. It's
2: impressive. <laughs> you can definitely say it's extraordinary because usually when you have uh, a kind of dictatorial figure, it's just you know portraits of themselves, pictures of them looking at yeah. goats, <laughs> starving farmers. I'm sure there is that. There's a little bit <laughs> of that sure as there well. Is that. But rarely is it like let's make the whole country into a business venture, right?
0: Yeah. It is. It doesn't remind me of like Vegas though it's very
2: it's got that Vegas thing I was gonna say Vegas on steroids but maybe Vegas on meth <laughs> Vegas on Mali <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah
4: because it's like heightened it's, it's volume up to yeah. 11 Vegas yeah so we've been behind the camera now let's get in front of it one of the main things people are going to Dubai for to take snaps of pictures in and selfies on top of are its buildings They are utterly ridiculous.
6: The Burj Al Arab that was opened in 1999, I mean, this sort of sail-shaped hotel, very iconic, uh, that really put it on the map.
4: Dubai's lavish skyscrapers and hotels are the thing it is known for. Perhaps above all else, the seven-star Burj Al Arab hotel is opulence made flesh. Turn up and you'll be offered a complimentary pickup in a Rolls Royce, Plied with dates and rose water as you head up in a gold-plated elevator past gold-plated pillars to your $24,000 a night room. Its opening basically marks the point when Dubai truly exploded. People call the early years of the new millennium the super boom. For the first time, foreigners were allowed to buy property, sending the market into a frenzy. You
6: know, it was basically a city erupting onto the face of the earth, trying to buy a home as as things heated up, it was like a fish market. You had buyers pushing and shoving, you know, trying to cut in front of each other in line, outbidding each other. The boom was uh, just such an unbridled boom that it was, um, it, it, <laughs> you started to feel it physically.
4: The crowning architectural glory of this period is undoubtedly the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building since it went up in two thousand and nine. You've probably seen a picture of it, even if you didn't realise. It's half a mile high, twice the size of the Empire State, and stacked up like an uneven card castle, its spiked top poking way above the clouds. Dubai's gleaming skyscrapers are undoubtedly the city's crown, but its most prized jewels lie not in the sky, but just off the coast. And they're not made of steel and glass, but sand.
6: So you know, when we moved to Dubai, the shoreline did not have its, its, its man-made looks to it. Nothing like what, uh, what happened you know, once the, the first Palm was built. The Palm,
4: or the Palm Jumeirah to give it its full title, is an island, a man-made island a man-made island in the shape of a palm tree with a series of leaf-like spits unfurling into the water. It's full of villas and high-rise hotels, each with their own slice of beachfront. At one point, there was actually going to be a Trump Hotel on there.
6: I'm doing a big building in Dubai, a fantastic building, a hotel, right smack in the best location, right in the middle of Dubai.
4: But the Palm Jumeirah doesn't really look like an island at all, not a normal one. It's more like a work of art. So, the question that comes to mind when you see it is how on earth did they build it? How do you go about creating your very own island?
3: The story of man-made islands is much older than people think. Uh, I know we're building a lot now, but actually we've been building them for thousands of years.
4: To find some answers, I called up Alistair Burnett, a geography professor at Newcastle University in the north of the UK. He just wrote the book on artificial islands. But I know what you're thinking, a geography professor, elbow patches, boring lectures about tectonic plates. But Alistair isn't your normal academic. He's
3: more like an explorer, The Gulf states became the go-to place for island building. The Palm Jumeirah is really an iconic artificial island. It's seen as a um, huge success.
4: In Dubai's tourism push, they focused on one thing they knew they could do well, beach time. But Sheikh Mohammed saw a problem. By the early 2000s, they had run out of coast. The space they had was already full up with boutique hotels and villas. His solution was as ludicrous as it was ambitious build more coast have more space for tourists. The Palm Jumeirah was the first attempt at this and it was a roaring success. By dredging up the seafloor and blasting rocks out of nearby mountains and putting this all together in the Gulf, they made man-made islands that add 50 miles to Dubai's coast. The opening party saw Robert De Niro, Charlize Theron, Michael Jordan, Janet Jackson and Shirley Bassey come to watch Kylie Minogue sing and David Beckham was one of the first to buy a house on it. It was masterfully marketed. Most of the plots were sold before it was even built in 2006. In fact, it was so successful, Mohammed wanted to make more.
3: So there has been various palms planned, but only partly built. The Palm Jumeirah actually has a larger sister um, up the coast called the Palm uh, Jabal Ali, and that's bigger than the Palm Jumeirah.
4: This was when things began to go a bit wrong. Drunk on the thrill of island-making, the Sheikh wanted to go bigger and more elaborate. So he built the Palm Jebel Alley, an even larger version of the Jumeirah poised to be topped with houses, pools and trees. But look now, it's just sand. Then there's the Deera Islands, a swirling mass near the Palm Jebel Alley. But they too lie undeveloped. At one point, there were even plans for islands in the shape of a poem, calligraphy sketched into the sea. The poem, which was written by the Sheikh himself, went as follows.
3: Take wisdom only from the wise. Not everyone who rides a horse is a jockey. It takes a man of vision to ride on water. Great men rise to great challenges.
4: Silver-tongued as Mohammed no doubt is, the calligraphy islands also never got built. The Jumeirah is actually the only one with people living on it. We'll find out why in a bit. By now, I think we've got the cuts of Dubai's jib. It's absurdly ambitious, with a leader strong-willed enough to follow his creative whims, no matter the scale. It's utterly global, and it delights in big statements. Statements that make it the centre of the world. How do you sum all this up in an island? Well, Mohammed found a way. To show off Dubai to the world, he would build his most ambitious islands yet. He would bring the world to Dubai.
3: If you fly into Dubai, uh, look out the window, there's a kind of map of the world that appears.
4: A map of the world made out of sand in the Persian Gulf. These are the World Islands. The
3: World Islands are an engineering marvel. They are spectacular. These are 300 plus islands. You know, all the countries, most of the countries, I should say, kind of there. And the big countries like Russia Uh, They're broken up into smaller islands. So there's a Moscow island, there's a Siberia island.
4: Look up the World Islands now and you'll see how amazingly absurd this is. Africa's there, Asia's there, Europe's there. The Americas are chopped up into hundreds of small plots. Conceived in 2003, the World Islands were originally planned as private getaways for the uber, uber rich places for celebrities who wanted their own little slice of home to hide away from the paparazzi in the Persian Gulf. As with the palm, there was a lot of interest.
3: There were stories in the press about the world. The idea that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were going to buy Ethiopia for their children. Uh, The idea that Karl Lagerfeld was going to create a fashion island. Putin wanted to build a whole bunch of islands uh, in the shape of Russia. Somalia was going to be shaped into a seahorse and then uh, apartments built, allowing uh, residents to uh, knock golf balls off their balconies straight into the sea.
4: The tabloids flocked to these rumours. There was talk of Hilary Swank making Spain and France into something called Aquitania. A developer wanted to recreate the giant's causeway on Ireland. Chinese buyers wanted a model of Shanghai's iconic Oriental Pearl Tower. Madonna supposedly brought one. Richard Branson was spotted on the GB island in a Union Jack suit. It became a worldwide phenomenon. The prices ranged from 15 to 50 million.
3: Although it's interesting to realise that this is just the stub end of an even bigger and more ambitious vision because the idea was that the world was going to be surrounded by the universe. So islands representing the solar system, different galaxies. It just shows the
4: nature of the ambition. This is Dubai in a nutshell, where no architectural idea is too far-fetched too expensive, too tasteless? The World Islands have become a symbol of super-boom Dubai. And not just for the good reasons. Almost exactly 12 years ago, the World Islands were finished. All 320 million cubic metres of sand had been dredged. All 25 million tonnes of rock were in place. 60% of the islands were sold to developers, ready to be equipped with houses, pools, gardens, whatever. They'd spent an estimated $13 billion. Then, this happened.
2: Lehman Brothers is going bankrupt. And financial markets from Asia to Europe are doing their utmost to prevent Monday from turning from dark to black.
4: The financial crash in 2008 hit the world, the real world that is, like a train. But it was felt really acutely in Dubai. The boom years had given the city an air of invincibility. The crash ended that. With Dubai's economy in tatters, the construction that had engulfed the city stopped almost overnight, leaving the coastline with skeleton structures, half-made, the Jebel Ali and Deira Islands included. But the most conspicuous undeveloped islands were, of course, the World Islands, whose main owner, the government investment arm Dubai World, was revealed to have debts of £60 billion. And there were other challenges too, which became magnified in light of the crash. Here's Jim again.
6: But the world is a tricky one. I mean, it's much further out at sea than the, um, the other reclaimed islands, and you cannot drive to it, and there's no services. I mean, there's no power. The islands are really small, uh, and they're very, very close together.
4: The rumors of Brangelinas and Madonnas getting their own islands went cold around the same time as the crash.
3: At that point, when all the celebrities decided, well, maybe they didn't really want an island in in, in Dubai, people started to say this whole project was a disaster. And there was a lot of stories in the international press saying the islands are being washed away, it just shows the hubris of um, Sheikh Mohammed, and people seemed to almost relish that idea that the the world was a a failed project.
4: The tabloids and people outside Dubai, many of whom tend to have a pretty snobby view of the city-state, really did delight in the world's failure in 2008. It was Dubai flying too close to the sun. An absurd piece of engineering which no one thought could work. And then it didn't. Mohammed and his acolytes had put everything on the line. Their cash, their business reputations. The failure of the world was then seen as Dubai's greatest folly. But Mohammed's hubris and the financial crash weren't the only things which stopped the world in its tracks in 2008 they actually serve to highlight some other bigger and more sinister issues in Dubai. Issues which speak to why the city enjoyed such an unprecedented boom. Why something so crazy as the world islands were actually thought possible in the first place. It's so weird having
0: a mark on a city like that, where you, just, you can just you stand on you the... You can see it. C- <laughs> yeah, you can see it. You're like, remember that time? Remember that when remember we, time we were going to do the world? Ah... Uh,
2: Seems so long ago. <laughs> but what's also crazy is, like, all these celebrities just buying in, yeah. like, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, Hillary Swank.
0: Like, what kind of random... Combining
2: France. What random celebrities were like... Uh, Hillary Swank?
4: Hillary Swank was very surprising. Oh, so you're... Like, you're Hilary like like Swank's
0: cool. Like, I really like her. She's a great actress. But is she, like, buying Spain and France good? <laughs> <laughs> She got hit head, in the head a lot in that boxing
4: movie. <laughs> Didn't she fall over and hurt herself at the end, I think, a little
0: bit? Yeah, she did. She, had a, um, she took a bit of a bup Took
4: a little bit of a blow, yeah. uh,
0: Clint Eastwood was really sad. This is a passport um, parallel section <laughs> on, on uh, a million-dollar
2: million dollar baby. baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, so what are these? What, where are we going? What's, what's going on with this, this sinister Start stuff? Yeah, what, what are these sinister things, Harry?
4: Well, the crisis with the World Islands actually highlighted a few other things about some of the owners of the World Islands. Okay. So, uh, the owner of the GB Island went to prison because he bounced $50 million of checks. That's a lot. That's a lot. Checks. That is a lot, yeah. Although he was, I should add, he was exonerated after three years. Okay. Okay. Um, But then the owner of the island, island, the island of Ireland... No, he killed himself. Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. The owner of the island of Ireland killed himself. Yeah, he committed suicide because he had so so much debt because of the crash. And then a few years later, the owner of Thailand was sent to prison in the UK for an unrelated fraud, but against the NHS, the UK Health Service. Ah, Oh, how
2: dubious is that? So
4: all this stuff basically came up and it just became toxic. The whole, that was a big part of why everything stopped. Just investigations I mean, upon investigations and...
2: Well, it's almost like the island itself was this kind of tumor of the economic crisis that was happening in 2008. Yeah. And then when it happened, it was like,
0: yeah, we can't do this. <laughs> yeah. This is, We've gone too far. You see this? This is why these things happen. <laughs> it's like a birthmark. <laughs> <sighs> we'll be back after the break with money laundering and investigation and the future of Dubai. See you in a sec. Hi, everyone.
2: Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up.
4: When you start digging down into Dubai's sandy foundations, you begin to find more stories like this. Because the allegations which swirled around the world post-2008 speaks to another side of Dubai. A side which underpins the super-boom, the luxury, and the enormous growth in real estate throughout the noughties. Dubai is an autocracy, and that means it's secretive. And some of those secrets get pretty dirty, On top of the human rights abuses we talked about earlier, Dubai is considered one of the world's number one hotspots for money laundering.
6: Dubai is to the Middle East what Miami is in the US for Latin America. I remember when I was working in Afghanistan, having a few drinks with a guy from the DEA, who was telling me all about the uh, heroin traffickers were basically laundering their cash in Dubai apartments.
4: Yeah, it's some shady stuff. But let's hold off for a sec. You've obviously heard about money laundering a lot, but do you know what it really is? How it really works? And what about its human impact? Before we delve into Dubai's secrets and find out who exactly owns all these buildings, let's have a little lesson in how the criminal money system works.
1: So money laundering is actually a very common issue all over the world.
4: This is Peter Kirichou. When we spoke, he was the Programme Director of the Conflict Finance and Irregular Threats Programme at the Center for Advanced Defense Studies, based in Washington, D.C. They go after the big boys in criminal finance, mapping the networks of people who fund conflict around the world.
1: Because illegal activities require funding, like any other legitimate business, criminals have to find a way to have money flow through the normal banking system in order to actually access it and put it to work.
4: How are Al-Qaeda, Latin American drug cartels and the Italian mafia paying for all their stuff? Sometimes you have to go through legal channels, and to do that you have to clean your ill-gotten gains. Money laundering is how you do this. It's basically taking criminally procured cash and making it legit by putting it into the legal financial system. There's a few ways that criminals actually go about this. One of the most common is as simple as a bit of creative accounting. But another commonly used way is through real estate. Peter reckons the amount of money being laundered through real estate every year globally could be as much as $2
1: So real estate is actually a great option for a lot of reasons. First, there's a huge transparency gap in many countries, which makes it difficult to know who's the actual owner of any given property at any given time.
4: Criminals will often use proxies or fake shell corporations to buy real estate, keeping their name away from it. The fact that in many places you don't have to say who is buying the house helps lot.
1: And then there's also the second issue of the real estate business being a very cash-heavy business in some countries. And so in you will find cases um, whereby you can walk into a real estate broker's office with just a briefcase full of cash and finalize that transaction within a matter of minutes with very little
6: documentation.
4: Hmm, where does that remind you of?
6: It was like a fish market. Suitcases yeah. of cash to buy real estate.
4: Dubai, during the super boom, ticked all the boxes for a place that looked attractive for money laundering through real estate. But are all Dubai's amazing buildings caught up in this? Are the world islands involved? I was in this deep already, so why not see how far the rabbit hole goes, right? Hi. Hi, Myra. How are you?
7: I'm fine. How about you? That's
4: Myra Martini. She's Brazilian, but she works in Berlin for the aptly named organisation Transparency, where she's the head of their money laundering programme.
7: Our vision is a world free of corruption. We started to look into the UAE and Dubai uh, as they have been playing a very prominent role, let's say.
4: While it's true that money laundering through real estate takes place across the world, London is a notorious hotspot, as are plenty of places in the US, there's something about Dubai which makes it extremely susceptible.
7: It's really a lot of secrecy. In the UAE, you basically have no action going on.
4: That blind eye we heard about earlier. Well, it's true. The authorities in Dubai were not interested in looking where the money was coming from for their huge new projects. As long as the money was there
7: so there is different research that actually shows pretty strong connection between the ruling family in the UAE and the financial sector So it's it's also very profitable. There is just not not political will and perhaps even a conflict of interest there because those benefiting from the system that has been created are those also making the the political decisions.
4: Does the the ruling family in Dubai own a lot of assets and companies?
7: There is not a lot of transparency. So that's a difficult (laughs) question to answer. I think that's the key thing in in the UAE, right? Is secrecy. There is secrecy of everything.
4: We certainly experienced that kind of secrecy in making this podcast. Trying to get people in Dubai to speak about the world islands was a serious battle. As such, leaks and whistleblowers are the ways in which transparency get their information. And in 2016, there was a good one. An anonymous source leaked information about the owners of a huge amount of high-end real estate in Dubai. Peter and his team used it to create the Sandcastles report for C4ADS.
1: And so this was a a year long effort within our organization uh, to identify and map properties owned by individuals who had either been sanctioned by the United States and in some cases by the European Union. And these violations can range from attempts to procure nuclear materials, um, terrorism related violations um, or human rights abuses.
4: You've got to have done something pretty bad to be sanctioned by the US government. And the number of sanctioned individuals using Dubai apartments to hide their cash is pretty shocking.
1: The top line findings here that we discovered um, were that we found 44 properties in Dubai directly associated with seven sanctioned individuals, and those were worth approximately $28.2 million. We dug deeper um, and found 37 additional properties worth approximately $78.8 million.
4: So these luxury buildings, these ambitious architectural projects, big chunks of them were paid for by people who the US and the EU had deemed criminal enough to sanction. C4ADS found that hundreds of millions of dollars were being cleaned in this way through Dubai's high-end real estate. And there were some really nasty pieces of work involved.
1: One of my favourite investigations here um, had to do with Robert McClough, um, who is the cousin of, of Syria's president Bashar al-Assad. It's everything from Colombian drug cartels um, you know, to al-Qaeda and the Taliban.
4: Another guy, Kambiz Mahmoud Rostamian, was buying nuclear materials on behalf of the Iranian government and using Dubai real estate to clean his cash. A Pakistani fella named Altaf Karnani, aka the billion-dollar criminal, ran the world's most prolific money laundering operation from his base in Dubai. And he used real estate to clean the cash of Hezbollah, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, drug cartels and biker gangs. It's really grubby stuff. Even the Palm Jumeirah and the Burj Khalifa were implicated. Not even the highest-profile properties were left off that list. Dubai's buildings are built on foundations of sand. The corruption at the industry's heart, allowing foreign criminals to purchase real estate to clean their money, is now coming out, thanks to the work of transparency in C4ADS. But its effect on Dubai's reputation, especially for tourism, could be devastating.
0: Dark, um, dark, dark. Yeah, Hezbollah.
2: I mean, yeah, when you're when you're in the <laughs> same league in, between yeah. Al Qaeda, it's it's like when when you're playing at that level of money, yeah,
0: it's just the most dubious things. It makes the growth of that place make sense. I mean, it makes you wonder about how much going in there was. Yeah just completely filthy money
2: well in, in a way it's like this they knew. this this perfect experiment in capitalism where if you take away the names of people and you yeah. just let money flood a place what happens yeah right no wonder trump loves this place man yeah it's like his <laughs> yeah
4: paradise
0: what we're listening to now yeah would it turn you off going to
4: dubai would it turn you off going to london would it turn you off going to New York right. and yeah. loads of places in the yeah. U.S.? Lo- I mean, London especially is notorious as a hotspot for Russian yeah. totally. criminals totally. hiding their money Absolutely. in real estate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's difficult to draw this to draw this line, yeah. you know? No, I
0: was just thinking and listening to it, like really how much when you go to visit a place for the first time, like how much do you really read into the politics of a place?
4: Oh, exactly. It's no, I think all these things are no... It's nothing on the people who live there. No. yeah, the normal people That's who live not. there, they, You know, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with them. It's, it's the politics and the government which allows yeah. that kind of stuff. And it's just
0: big, big, big business on a massive scale. Mm-hmm. You know, massive scale.
2: It's the fact that visually it's so striking to be in the Persian Gulf and that to yeah. just be coming out from the ground.
4: Yeah. Let's head back to the World Islands, checking up on how they're doing now We last saw them after the crash in 2008, tainted by allegations of corruption, a big, big blip after the years of plenty. Since then, the world islands haven't been much more than slivers of sand in the stream, uninhabited and barren, most of them anyway. Alistair visited them a couple of years ago.
3: So only two islands were ever actually developed. There was an island built for the racing car driver Michael Schumacher and gifted to him by Sheikh Mohammed. There's Lebanon um, and that's the one you can go and visit. If you go to Dubai, uh, you can get a boat out to Lebanon and there's a restaurant and there's um, you know, deck chairs.
4: The Lebanon island is the only one standing and it's branded itself as a kind of party getaway for normal people to visit. If you fancy chilling on your own private island for the day, drinking in the impressive skyline of Dubai, it's worth a look. But it's nothing really to write home about.
3: It would have been very easy for me, actually, to just wade over to uh, the other islands that are surrounding Lebanon. But on the day I was going, it was pouring with rain.
4: Pouring with rain in the middle of Dubai. Yep, cloud seeding again. But on the world islands, they're actually taking it even further. There are plans to make it snow in the Gulf. Because on the World Islands today, things are beginning to stir. The world is coming back to life.
3: Its fortunes have been uh, turned round by a guy from Austria, a politician from a, a right-wing party called uh, Joseph Kleindeist.
4: Joseph Kleindeist owns a big chunk of the World Islands, which he is calling the heart of Europe. I tried to get in touch with him to ask him some questions about his projects on the world, but yet again, to no avail. But Kleindyce's plans are actually pretty exciting. He wants to make the world islands even bigger and better than ever. And he's going to efforts to remove that toxic image too. If you go to Dubai, you'll see his cranes,
3: and there are hundreds of them, and he is building big. He's taking what he calls the heart of Europe, which is the islands of Sweden, Germany, Switzerland, and he's got St Petersburg there and uh, uh, Venice.
4: These plans for the world are even more elaborate than those of the super boom years. Dice is planning 15 hotels and 4,000 holiday homes with a projected cost of $5 billion. He's building villas on Sweden that look like upturned Viking ships. There's a Maldives-inspired, heart-shaped honeymoon island. The Portofino Hotel will be a recreation of an Italian Amalfi village. And there are going to be 78 three-storey, floating seahorse villas with underwater views. And then there's the snow. Kleindice, Germany will be filled with quaint Northern European taverns, Christmas markets, Oktoberfest, and climate-controlled cobbled streets lined with snow.
3: Kleindeist has taken on this uh, project and the world from being something that was just for the very rich is now being turned into something that is more for the many rather than just the few. I was really struck when I went to Dubai. I was expecting to encounter, you know, wealth and rich people but in fact the people who really go to dubai are quite ordinary people and i think that's often overlooked in this narrative about dubai being a playground of the rich and famous
4: the world like dubai is changing yes there are still voyeuristic celeb stories like lindsay land lindsay lohan's plans for her own island that she announced on her instagram last year
6: i'm discussing designing an island in dubai Lohan Island, at the World (laughs) Islands.
4: But in reality, the world is ditching its focus on the super rich and opening up to the middle classes. And they're taking steps to reclaim the marine environment too.
3: Yeah, the world is surrounded by protective reefs. They are some of the most impressive uh, protective reefs for any artificial island in the world. And now they're a place where divers go down to um, spot the wonders of the deep. So the environmental story of the world is not all negative.
4: It feels like the world islands are growing up. Gone is the reckless speculation of buying plots that aren't even built. The new approach is making something which tourists will actually want to visit. Breathtaking luxury, yes, but more practical even if practical means something as crazy as making it snow in the desert. And Dubai is actually maturing too, especially as a place to live. Here's Jim again.
6: It's become more of a normal city in many ways, which is kind of a relief, actually. I mean, when during the boom period, it was an unfinished city. You know, it looked great from the air and it looked great driving past, but when you were there walking, it was really difficult. And it's actually you know much more uh, a comfortable, livable city now.
4: And the future? Well, new anti-money laundering laws brought in in the wake of the Sandcastles report could help to curb the scourge of corruption. And Peter and Myra were actually cautiously optimistic but new leadership could propel this change even further.
6: I suspect when the ruler's baton passes from Sheikh Mohammed to his designated successor, the Crown Prince Hamdan, I'm sure the the Crown Prince is probably putting into place, you know, his plan of action where he wants to take Dubai.
4: Crown Prince Hamdan, or Fazza to you and I, doesn't feel like his father. He's a young, hip, romantic, poetry writing, social media superstar. So what will Dubai's future look like under this new millennial prince? Well, Fazza is saying all the right things. And that Israel peace accord we mentioned at the start? It's another sign that this region could be turning a corner. A corner that leads to peace. We'll soon see whether this country of flux and its cities of gold can change as quickly as its skyline. And this time, really for the better.
0: Jesus. Okay, let's just... (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot to kind of take in all at once. I also can't blame Dubai, right? Because it's it's almost like this... Dubai is like somebody on Twitter who gets a million followers way too quick. And has nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) In, In the end, it's a question of time. You
2: know, it's gone so quickly that the super boom period is nothing. So... The only thing we can say is like, I hope, right, that this that the that there's a possibility for transformation. Yeah, they've got to have some uh, some
0: some allowed politics. They've got to have some allowed That'll form of discussion. I mean,
2: that yeah, might be if there is a lesson help. If there is a lesson, it's like maybe a little bit of politics yes. is good. <laughs> Just the tiniest bit.
4: Well, you'd hope that this new the the new prince, the crown prince Hamdan, who goes by Faza, yeah. Could hopefully be that guy. Yeah. I mean, he uh, writes some really wonderful romantic poetry. Like, would... actually wonderful? Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he writes romantic poetry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, we're recording this, what, two days after there was a you know, pretty historic UAE-Israel peace treaty, which, yep. you know, in the Middle East is for an Arab country to sign a peace treaty with Israel is... It's a big deal. Big, you know. big deal. I
2: mean, what it definitely yeah. points to is we are at some sort of transition period. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, on our to to finish the episode, uh, Neil's going to do a little more of um, the chic shake.
0: My chic shake brings <laughs> all the boys to the yard. And they're like, it's better than yours. Damn right. It's better than yours. I could teach you, but I have to charge. My shake brings <laughs> all the boys <laughs> to the this week on Passport, our saved pins highlight the opulence and insanity of Harry's story and of Dubai.
2: Number one is the Lebanon Island. First stop on your trip to Dubai has to be the World Islands. And to be more precise, the Lebanon Island. For $40, you can be a shake for the day, lounging at their beach club, enjoying Dubai's spectacular skyline over dinner at their exclusive restaurant, Torro Blanco. And if you're heading there in 2021, the heart of Europe islands should be open too. So keep a lookout to see if they're up and running.
0: Number two, the top of the Burj Khalifa. Once you've seen the city skyline from afar, why not get a view of it from the very, very top? The Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building, is 828 meters tall. You can head up to one of the building's two observation decks, and you'll be able to spot all of Dubai's islands and the Arabian desert. For miles around. It's not something to do when you're afraid of heights.
2: Number three is the Dubai Mall. Now, it's time for some shopping. Head just across the road from the Burj Khalifa and you'll enter the Dubai Mall, the world's biggest and undoubtedly Dubai's best. Feed your shopping addiction at one of the plethora of designer stores. Then check out the world's biggest aquarium, the colossal dancing fountain, the indoor ski slope, whatever you want, it's all there. And if you haven't ruined your savings quite yet, indulge your sweet tooth with the Golden Phoenix Cupcake from Bloomsbury's. It's rolled in on a 24 karat gold trolley, sat on a gold-painted stand, and is, you guessed it, covered in a 23 karat edible gold sheet. It'll cost you $1,000.
0: Number four, Carnival by Tresind. Our influencer Santa's pick of Dubai's incredible restaurants was Carnival, a new take on Indian food by the world-famous chain, Trezind. This is more than your standard curry house. There is an indoor forest, crazy decor, and a menu that includes prawns in palm sugar, and a banana leaf-wrapped barramundi. It looks seriously good. Thanks, Sana.
2: And finally, number five, Dubai's Old Town. Once you've enjoyed all the thrills of this thoroughly modern city-state, head back in time to get a real taste of old Arabia. Dubai's old town, known as the Al-Fahidi Historical Neighborhood, was recently restored to its former glory with traditional tea shops, galleries filled with stunning Middle Eastern calligraphy and various cultural centers and museums that celebrate the history of this ancient part of the world. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Next week, we're headed somewhere we can guarantee that none of you have been to before. It's cold, it's tough to breathe, and the gravity is almost nothing. That's right. We're headed to space via a small town in Texas, which has become the world's launch pad to Mars.
0: This episode of Passport was written and edited by Harry Stott. Big thanks to Sana Chikahila, Peter Carecciu, Maria Martini, Linton Bessa, Jim Crane, and Alistair Bonnet for all of their insight. Make sure you check out The Last Two Guys' books on Dubai and Artificial Islands. They're fascinating reads. We've got links to it all in the show notes. Our theme tune is by Nick Turner with additional tunes from Lieutenant Fitzgibbon's Men, Oracle, Music Box, Off the Menu, Pickle Juice, Jake the Dog, Hint of Mint, River Deep Mountain Dew, Automated Acoustics, Klatu Varada Necktie, Tenderhorns, Lobo Loco, Pollux Troy, Turku Nomads of the Silk Road, Ai e. Kaif, and Jared Gustat. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuznetsky. Eliza Engel is our production assistant. Hi Eliza. Stacy Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijansky are often spotted rolling through LA in their gold-plated Hummers, and the executive produced the show, which is hosted by me and Passport's very own, Oil Dealing, Bling Wearing, Diamond Encrusted Shake, Andres Spartos. We'll see you in the next place.